We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores, the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. We're recording right after the Lakers beat the Hornets tonight, 120 to 101. What we'd like to talk about tonight is for the second game in the row in a row, both Dwight and Alex Caruso were catalysts, you know, really big plus minus guys that really helped spark the team in a second half comeback. I, I want to start with Dwight, who is apparently a fan favorite now <laughs> against all odds. Uh, one, of, one of my friends called him Theon Greyjoy, which if you watch Game of Thrones, which I know you do not, Darius, but if you watch that, that's pretty much the best analogy ever. Um, coming back to uh, make his mark. Bro, what are you seeing out of Dwight Howard, man, who's just, you know, this different, he's everything we hoped he could be and more. He is playing sort of that role player role um, perfectly, right? There's this idea of be a star in your role. Dwight Howard used to be a star star, right? And now he is a role player, but he's showing at least these last couple of games and marks of this and flashes of this throughout the preseason as well, that he can really sort of play at a high level within the role that the Lakers are asking him to do. And, and so, like, there's so many little things that he's doing well. Like, I could just rattle off a whole list, right? Like, he is crashing the offensive boards well. He's creating space offensively as an offensive re well, rebounder when he is going to the backboards. He's setting good screens. What's really impressing me defensively is how he's sort of moving his feet and making early rotations. It, it, 
it's really a stark contrast to what we see from JaVale. And it's no coincidence to me that Dwight has been taking more and more of the second half minutes these last couple of games because his defense, really, his rotations, his his instincts, all of the things that made him sort of a defensive player of the year candidate and multiple time winner at his peak, all those instincts are still there. What's not quite there is that like second jump ability and super elite athleticism, but everything else like the hands, the timing, um, sort of that defensive intelligence, it's all just right there. And it's kind of crazy to watch. Just like the impact that that he's making, he's he's just in the right place so much. And it's just not something we've seen from the Lakers big men. Um, and now to get that not not only from from Dwight, but from but with Anthony Davis as well, it, it's just a lot of really good interior defense. And, and that's just not something the Lakers have have had in recent seasons. Yeah, the interior defense has been solid. I've been astounded by the rebounding. His ability, you know, it's funny. I'm in the process of making a Dwight video prior to this game. And so he had this game. I'm like, oh, I got to get that done by tomorrow because this is the perfect time for that, right? But his offensive role is basically to stand in the weak side dunker spot, set high ball screens, set off ball screens, Rolled to the basket, but it's more like you remember Tyson Chandler's role last year where he was screening, but and he'd roll his very best, but it was not particularly effective. Now, Dwight is better than that. He's more athletic than Chandler was at that point, but it's a very similar type of role where he's basically out there as an offensive lineman in football and he you know, then goes and stands in the weak side dunker spot, very rarely ever gets a touch. I think he had his first post-touch in the Charlotte game of the season, uh, and he ended up banking it in from the right block. Yeah, and and it was late clock, right? I think he got his touch at five seconds left on on Yeah, no, it was the right shot stick. Yeah, it was. Well, I'm just saying that this wasn't something where it's just like, oh, let's dump it into Dwight. It was like the ball had reversed twice. It came back to him, and he's like, oh, I got the ball. Let's cook, right? Classic. And, and you know what? Every once in a while, reward your big men who, you know, grind for you like that. Like, not often, and Lord knows this has been an issue in Dwight's career where he really wanted to post up a lot, and he was never all that good at it. Reward your bigs for that hard work they do. Give them a, a touch here and there, and that wasn't one of those plays, right, where they were intentionally doing that, but I'm glad Dwight got to get one of those opportunities in this game can so, we just rattle off his stat line really please quickly do. Please so do. dwight howard in 23 minutes of play 16 points eight for eight field goals 10 rebounds three of those offensive one assist one turnover no steals four blocks he was just everywhere and in a really good way and he was I, a plus 23 in 23 minutes. And like you could just see that, like how much better they were with him on the court versus JaVale, right? And, JaVale and was just, minus eight in 16 minutes. In a game they won by 19. JaVale's been bad these first three games. What's going on with him? He has been really bad defensively. I'm trying to get a few more games of sort of data and, and, and just sort of eye test film stuff on this. I have a feeling that he is suffering some from not being the primary pick and roll ball handler in sort of a spaced floor offense. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when he was in Golden State, 
that's basically the role that they had him playing. He would set a lot of screens and roll to to the basket. He'd set off ball screens and 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 he barely played. Right. Like he was not a primary rotation guy for them last year. He played most of his minutes with a front court that consisted of LeBron and Kuzma, basically, or LeBron and Ingram or Ingram and Kuzma or whoever. Right. But it was mostly with a spaced floor. I have a feeling he has he is not as adept at sort of like doing sort of all that off ball work that. Dwight is from that dunkers position, right? Like, so the Lakers have not been running as much pick and roll with AD and JaVale on the floor, but when they do, it's mostly still AD setting that, that high ball screen when JaVale has been able to, when the roles have been reversed and it's sort of AD that's spacing to, to the corner or the guy who's in the dunkers position, JaVale's actually gotten some good looks in pick and roll action Today, he was five for eight. He had 10 points, you know, four rebounds, two offensive. He had a steal and assist, no blocks. But where I see him struggling more is just defensively, man. Like, Yeah, it's bad, man. He's just not closing out to the three-point line. He's not rotating. He's, you know, we talked about a lot of... We talked a lot last year about how he would open up on ball screens and rather than getting square to a guy, it's kind of this like, I dare you to try and get to the rim because I'm going to block it. And sometimes he does, but sometimes he gives up a layup too, right? And, the, you know, the first eight points of this game were given up on his responsibility, either a slow closeout or there was one where Zeller attacked the rim and JaVale turned his hips in that same way that I'm describing. I don't think it was a ball screen, but I think he was attacking a closeout and Zeller was able to finish around JaVale. And, you know, then there's the, you know, his screen setting has not been particularly good off of the ball. Basically, like <laughs> if we could clone Dwight and, and like what we need out of JaVale is what we need out of Dwight is that, you know, I'm going to do my job. I'm going to set sturd- sturdy screens. Now, he's not as strong as Dwight, but it, it's more about the, you know, actually trying to make contact on them. Yeah. And I, I thought JaVale was clearly better than Dwight in the preseason. That was going to be something. Remember, like we were going to talk about it on the pod, like JaVale versus Dwight. And then, you know, a few games in the preseason. And it's like, this is pretty obviously JaVale's job to lose. And maybe this remains the rotation, but that starting five should be really, really good because that's that group with LeBron and AD. Many of the other minutes are staggering LeBron and AD, which is good, but you want that LeBron AD lineup to really be maximized. Is there any value you think in maybe making a switch from JaVale to Dwight or do you think that it's you know best to leave it as is? I think it's fine to leave it as is. I also think, too, that there is personality stuff that you need to manage as well with all of this. And I think these are things that Vogel is working through. It's three games into the regular season. If there's going to be a change, I don't anticipate it being until like 15 or 20 games in when he has real like real data. Honestly, he seems. He seems perfectly comfortable in in sort of going away from things during the game, which is refreshing for a Lakers head coach, because I don't think the Lakers have had a guy who has been flexible in game with his lineups like this since maybe Mike D'Antoni, mm-hmm. honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to see Vogel say, you know what, like we're going to go to Caruso, we're going to play Dwight and extended stretch. We're going to and these aren't like. I don't want to make it sound sound like these are like super rocket science like (laughs) 
experiments, right? Where, sure. where he's like, this is such a difficult thing. No, like he's he's making the right play, but there are a lot of coaches who don't do that. Like we just saw three years of Luke Walton where he would sort of, I don't know, like play his gut a little bit more or go back to something. And you're like, why? Like, why? And to see Vogel sort of say, well, you know what? This is what we're going to do. And and we need a spark here or you're going to have to sit. Like, I think that that's fine. So let JaVale get used to the idea that like, okay, well, I'm going to start, but I may not finish. Um, I may lose second half minutes. And as long as the team is win winning games, I think everything is going to be fine with that. But I don't anticipate there being some huge change. And you could just shorten the shifts if you end up wanting to sort of go in a different direction. Yeah, I'm by and large in the same place. And I do think there's value in getting the JaVale version of this figured out. JaVale can cover a ton of distance, which AD can as well, which is why like JaVale needs to really sell out to close out to the three-point line. And knowing that if he's doing that, you've got AD on the backside able to make that rotation and protect the rim. But that's something that everybody on this team, everybody, we saw it in the first half against Charlotte, right? They, they shot, I think, seven for 16 from the three-point line. And then in the second half, last I saw, they were like two of 17. I think they hit one more, maybe missed another in the second half before the game was over. But by the time the Lakers had really wrapped that game up, the Lakers had really cleaned up the three-point line. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that JaVale was on the bench during most of those minutes. And so that's something that JaVale can do that. He can close out to the three-point line, but it gets to kind of a broader point of what this pod is about, which is about energy guys, right? Like Dwight, there's a level of activity there that is not there in JaVale right now. And, I, you know, this was a game in that first half, especially where I was under the impression that the Lakers were trying to win this game while expending as little effort as possible. And that is a practical reality of an 82 game season is that, you know, it's best if LeBron doesn't have to really, really push himself for 36 minutes every night. In baseball, they talk about uh, like pitches under stress. And, you know, if you're up six to nothing, yeah, you might throw 100 pitches, but most of them are relatively stress free. You don't have to completely lock in. If they hit a solo home run, nothing wrong with that, right? But it's those, you know, the game's tied at two or the bases are loaded in every inning or you got a couple runners on that those 80 pitches under those circumstances are actually more taxing than the 100 pitches under, you know, easier circumstances. I think that analogy applies to basketball. And that's something that if my my thought is that if you surround LeBron and AD with the best energy guys on this team they will be able to make up what those guys can't give simply as a function of having so much of a burden placed on their shoulders. They'll be able to make up in those types of areas in ways where some of the more skilled guys like Quinn Cook hasn't been particularly good over the last couple of games. Uh, You know, we already talked about JaVale. These guys who bring energy every night. I think they will always thrive off of LeBron and AD, especially getting through an 82 game grind because they can provide something that is not there that LeBron and AD just can't provide on a night to night basis. No. So I agree with that 100%. I would add in though, that 
within that energy, I still think you need a particular set of skills. And I think what we're seeing... So let's make a comparison. And I know we're going to get to our boy Caruso like in the second half of the pod. So I'm going to leave him out for a second. Um, But Dwight and JaVale to me is a perfect example of this. So JaVale's not necessarily playing as hard as I think both of us would like to see. But one of the things that Dwight is doing that is, I think, super important to helping this team is he is making early rotations on paint drives. And that walling off of the paint is what is allowing the Lakers to sort of turn defensive stops into quicker transitions to getting into offense earlier. And I think that that's super important for sort of creating more energy within the context of of flowing from defense to offense. And when we talk more about Caruso, I think that that will be a key point to make with him as well. So you've got a guy like Avery Bradley as well. Like, I think Avery Bradley is playing hard. I do too. Like, and I think Quinn Cook to a certain extent is is playing hard. And well, can, can, can I interject there? Because I, sure. it's not an it's not an insult to Quinn Cook in that like that's not his game, if that makes sense. That's sure. that's Avery Bradley's game. That's Alex Caruso's game. That is Dwight Howard's game, at least in three games this season, where like Quinn Cook can play hard, but what he does on a basketball court, like why he's out there are different reasons. He's he's a skill player. He's a shooter with a little bit of ball handling ability, a little bit of passing ability, but he's not a guy who will make plays by playing hard. He's not talented. We don't think of that as a talent, really, that, but like we see it in Dwight's activity. We've seen it in Caruso's activity that they actually get things done by playing that way. And so Caruso can be playing just as hard as they are. He's just not as talented in that that aspect. Yeah, Caruso's an interesting guy though because the things that he's doing on on the court are just difference making plays, man. And you you know, I had tweeted during the Utah game um, at the very beginning, and I think you you tweeted something very similar when the second half star started. Like like he's alive, basically, right? Because we just hadn't seen him. He'd been exhumed, right, to sort of be thrust into the lineup. And people were like, "Caruso's not good." These are silly people that were in my mentions, but it was more than just one person that was saying this to me. And to a certain extent, I get it. Caruso was not good during the preseason, um, offensively at least. And for people who sort of just watch the game on a more casual level, I think that's the stuff that they observe most. But defensively, the plays that he's making are super important. And they're almost the exact same types of plays that Dwight's making, but he's making them from a guard position. Right. Here, so, let's let's take a quick little break. Sure. Let's go to break. When we come back, let's talk more Caruso. Humans have been shaving for thousands of years, and the secret to a great shave, it hasn't changed much. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't overcharge you to add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on delivering what actually matters. Sharp, durable blades at a fair price. I love Harry's because it helps me keep my beard nice and neat with an easy glide at a low price. Do us a favor and check out harrys.com backslash bluewire for your free trial today. Harry's is a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. Just $2 per blade. Harry's is super convenient. The blade refills are delivered directly to your door on schedule with or without a subscription. And there's no risk to you for trying them out. 
If you don't love your shave, let me know and they'll give you a full refund. Listeners of the Laker Film Room podcast can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com backslash bluewire. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimming blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, and a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Go to harrys.com backslash bluewire to start shaving better today. And while we're here, the holiday rush is coming, and if you sell stuff online, you better get ready with ShipStation. With more people buying online than ever before, you have to be able to ship orders out quickly, efficiently, and affordably. But how do you keep track of all of those orders, or decide which shipping carrier to use, or if you're getting the best rates? Luckily, ShipStation can help. With just a few clicks, you'll be managing orders, printing labels, and getting those products out the door, and delivered on time for the holidays. No matter where you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders to one simple interface. Make them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all of the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, and UPS, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Take the hassle out of the holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it all with ease. Just use my offer code BLUE to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no-hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, enter offer code BLUE. ShipStation, make ship happen. So, yeah, man, as you were saying before the break, you know, these plays that Crusoe's making, it's interesting, too, because like you said, he's been kind of exhumed from outside of the rotation in the first half, almost to continue the baseball analogies like a a middle reliever or, or a closer or someone like that. But it's not a coincidence the Lakers have gone on these runs. And you pointed out the plays that he's making. I also think that he has an energy and a pace to him that is needed. I think the best teams, especially amongst championship contenders, they can be a bunch of different things, right? So one night you can be that kind of grinded out, even a post team. Another night you can shoot 35-43s. Caruso adds an element of pace that nobody on the else on the team does. Rondo might, when he gets back, Rondo is a guy who can push the pace, but also comes with a lot of holes that we've talked about. But Caruso, things feel just less gunked up. And it's not just a matter of like running in transition, but it's also like teams are switching. Each of the three teams that the Lakers have faced have switched the LeBron AD pick and roll because they're close enough in terms of position where they'd rather have that than the total breakdown that happens where if you defend them in any other manner. So that makes sense. So we post up AD in a lot of situations like this. We've been posting up LeBron and those plays have been productive. But when Caruso's on the floor, it's not just a stand there and watch him type thing. It's a, all right, I'm going to go set a down screen. We're going to split cut. We're going to get some movement going on. Even in other sets where Caruso's very quick to, he got a, a rebound in today's game. And before he hit the floor, he had outletted to LeBron, who was just two or three feet away. But with most guys, their feet are going to land and then they're going to dish it off. And just split seconds like that matter in the NBA. So that energy that that Caruso's bringing and that playmaking, can you be more specific about what you're seeing in that respect? So look, man, like... The thing about him is he is the only, uh, so besides Rondo, he is the only other guard where being a primary ball handler is actually a native skill to him. 
all of the stuff that you're talk talking about of Caruso sort sort of doing off-ball things that sort of helped grease the wheels of the Lakers offense those have all been great there was actually a play against Utah where I said said to you Pete I need I need the tape on that play and it was so simple LeBron got a layup and you and anyone who was watching would would probably say like oh that was just a LeBron layup what was so special about that the thing that stood out to me was actually just this very subtle thing that Alex Caruso did Caruso had cut from the right side of the floor to the left. There was a ball denial there. And so he instantly recognized the ball denial when he got to the left wing and then just back cut, right? And it was just super simple. It was actually super casual. And if you're just watching a game, it wouldn't have stood out at all. But when Caruso instinctively noticed that the back cut was there, he vacated the whole left side of the floor. LeBron then had basically a wide open floor to drive left or right. He went right middle there was no help and he got a layup and so many of the things that we have seen from the Lakers when the offense has gotten gummed up has been because guys have not necessarily been reading the floor correctly and Caruso just being a smart player he is opening things up in ways that are sort of like you really need to be watching to see them. But when you do start to watch closely, you're like, ah, that's super helpful. The other thing that Caruso's doing is he is taking about, I don't know, 15 to 20% of the ball handling duty off of LeBron and allowing the Lakers to get into different aspects of their sets. And he is pushing other players into positions where they can play more to their strengths. Against Utah, for example, he ended up in a couple of lineups with LeBron and then who was on the floor with him, like either Avery Bradley or Quinn Cook and then Troy Daniels. With Caruso in in the game, he was the one who then said, I can take some of these extra ball handling duties. It does not have to be you, Troy Daniels. It doesn't have to be you, Quinn Cook. You guys can space the floor weak side. I can play ball side, play a little bit of two-man game, and then I can make a read and drive and kick and then, you know, attack a closeout. I can back cut. I can set some screens. And he allows the players who are going to be finishers to actually be put in positions where they can actually finish instead of having to do even the slightest bit of shot creation for themselves. And I'm telling you, man, little things like that matter. And then you play guys like that off of LeBron, and then suddenly LeBron doesn't have to bring bring the ball up every single time. One of the things that stood out to me in the first half was LeBron sort of carried himself with a little bit of indifference. I think some of that was the opponent. I think some of that was a little bit of frustration with the fact that the game was so close. But I also think that some of it was, damn, I got to bring the ball up again. LeBron loves to bring the ball up, but doesn't want to have to do it every single time. There were a couple times where I honestly thought he looked super relieved when Anthony Davis grabbed a rebound and just decided, you know what, I'm just going to bring the ball up. There were a couple of possessions where LeBron didn't even call for it. And maybe that's because that's Anthony Davis. But I also think it's because like, oh yeah, thank you. I will happily take a possession where I don't have to initiate the offense. And that's part of that 82 game grind we were talking about earlier, right? Is And Caruso helps in that respect. I, I would argue that Caruso's weaknesses are 
the least important amongst the guards. You talked about him pushing other guys into more natural spots. Caruso's biggest glaring weakness in his game is the ability to score off of ball screens. He's not a particularly strong ball handler, but he's, you know, relative to Quinn Cook and KCP. Like he's in that Quinn Cook type of area. Perhaps I don't even argue a little bit better. He's a little turnover prone, but most of his weaknesses go back to him having the ball in his hands and having to create against NBA level talent. That is not the same thing as bringing the ball up court and getting the team into their offense. Even if Caruso is just making that initial initiation pass, he's off the ball from there on out. He's turned into a solid spot up shooter and he's able to defend. He's able to, you know, make plays, actual plays on the perimeter defensively. He will push pace. He will, all of the other things that he's good at, that's his time to shine. So if he's on the court with LeBron and AD or LeBron or AD, he can spend most of the time of what he's doing, doing the things that he's good at. And that's not necessarily the case with Quinn Cook or even Avery Bradley, who's been very good, been very happy with Avery Bradley. But like Caruso's weaknesses are the least damaging of all of the guys. So that begs the question, what should his role be going forward? Yeah, that's a good question. And honestly, I'm not entirely sure. Like I'm happy with the starting lineup to a certain extent. We talked a fair amount about JaVale, but fine like I think that you're right in terms of it behooves the Lakers to try to figure it out with JaVale I wouldn't say like oh the Lakers should start Caruso instead of JaVale and Anthony Davis at center like I think that that comes with too many political implications for it to be like a long-term solution for them I do think that he should play I do think that he should get a shift a half at whose expense? I'm not exactly sure. It's a tricky situation. I get where Vogel's at when he's saying, like, all my guards, they all need to play. And Caruso's making it harder on me because he's playing well, too. And maybe that's a good problem to have. But to bring back your baseball analogy, I guess he could be your your lefty specialist out, out of the bullpen. Like, I, That's like not I, enough for him, man. No, like, he needs more, right? Like, yeah, the other like, dudes aren't good enough to justify that. Like, I think I like Troy Daniels a little more than you do. KCP is a guy that Laker fans have killed quite a bit. He was fine today. He was he, he was fine. Yeah, he was he was good. He was you know he, he did his job and he's been doing his job defensively every game. Even the Clipper game, he j- like he did his job defensively. He just was totally outmatched. Right, like you can't blame a Chihuahua for getting beat up by a pit bull. That's not the Chihuahua's fault. Like, KCP was put in a bad position. I understand that Lakers fans, they need a whipping boy every year. KCP is the clutch client who who's made, you know, a bunch of money from the Lakers and gotten some big contracts. Like, I get it, right? But he's out there doing his job defensively. And when the shots fall, he's going to have real value. When the shots don't fall, I think his shifts should probably be limited. And that's a coaching decision. Like, I'm not going to, like, rip KCP for never really becoming the player who showed a certain amount of promise when he was with Detroit, right? Like, he sort of is what he is. All I know is, is that the Lakers have, what, like six guards. Danny Green's minutes are set. Every other guard... But you can push Danny Green to the three. And that's a spot that the Lakers are 
can probably use some help, right? Kuz is going to come much, back. But Kuz is going to come back too. So it's just like, I understand. I think for while Kuzma's out, yeah, you can run some three-guard lineups, move Danny Green up to small forward. Like I said, there are between KCP, Bradley, and Troy Daniels, give Caruso one of their shifts. That's it. You don't have to not play them at all, but he should get a shift. And Russo should be a two shift player, man. Yeah. He should be in that, you know, 16 to 20 minutes, honestly, at a minimum. I think he would be valuable in more than that. And I think the fact that the Lakers have just magically gone on a big run in the two times that they've put him in this season, I like, I think he would be able to absorb more. But there's no excuse to me for him to not play at least two ships. And if that means KCP's minutes have to go down, fine. Quinn Cook played 24 minutes. Have him be a two-shift player too. There are a lot of guys, it's it's funny, man. There's probably, out, even outside of guards, because there's a good deal of positional versatility on this team. There are probably like seven or eight guys on this team that are around the same ability that have a case for minutes. They're not starting caliber players or great players or anything like that, but they have a case and that watching Vogel navigate that will be one of the more interesting things. Cause we ain't even talked about Rondo yet, man. And he's about to come back and that's another guy directly in front of Caruso. And we're going to be watching Caruso get DNPs most likely in the very near future, even after playing well and showing his value in these games. So, you know, these are the politics that we expected to play out, but Caruso, after a rough preseason on the offensive side, Caruso has really shown that, no, you play this dude with real NBA players and he can help you out quite a bit. So I, I'm curious to see how Vogel navigates that. And I'm not exactly optimistic considering that Rondo's about to come back. Yeah, I'm, I mean, when it comes right down to it, Vogel's looking at three different types of guards. And there's two of each type, I think, in each sort of slot. You've got your quote-unquote two-way guards, right? Guys who you trust to be scorers and defenders. I think Danny Green fits in that spot. And, you know, I know it's a make-or-miss league, but KCP is probably in one of those slots as well. You've got your offense-only spots, right? That's the Troy Daniels and... Quinn Cooks, and then you've got the guys who skew defense, and that's Avery Bradley and Alex Caruso. And so I don't know what to do with that. That's six guards, and just like you said, you didn't even mention Rondo. So that's a seventh guard. I honestly think that when Kuzma comes back, I'll be very interested to see whose minutes Kuzma eats. Like the natural guy to say is Jared Dudley. That said, Dudley's also a combo forward type, and we haven't even begun to explore lineups without both LeBron and AD if you've got a player like Kuzma who could capably get you 20 points a game. I think Vogel actually wants to sit AD and LeBron a little bit more than what he already is, but he knows that he doesn't have the offense yet to be able to do that. Will Kuzma help there? If he does, then maybe he eats into some of AD and LeBron's minutes which has been nice to have a couple of those where, you know, you send guys to the bench before the final horn. It's nice to have that luxury, man. So um, thank you for listening. You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's in. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. 
Campbell in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP you're chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Kobe, I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me?